I'm Valerie Dalton, founder and artistic director of the Live Literature Company. I'm delighted to introduce actress Victoria Jeffrey to you in episode six of our series, Celebrating Companionship. The series opened with actress Wendy Morgan sharing with us very moving words about the loss of her great dog companion, Sophie. So I feel it is very fitting we are closing this series with Victoria Jeffrey speaking about the loss of her dog, Alfie, her own beloved companion for many years. Victoria is the daughter of a very close actress friend of mine, Yvonne Bonamy. Yvonne's acting career included working on stage with Judi Dench and Vanessa Redgrave and other great actors of her time. I came to know Yvonne well, because on many occasions I cast her to perform in the play The Quilt, which I myself wrote, on a woman processing grief. So running through this podcast is many decades of processing grief. You will hear Victoria speak of her family bereavements and how she is connecting these experiences with her current grief over the loss of her dog and great companion, Alfie. I myself wrote my play The Quilt as a way of coming to terms with huge bereavements, in particular the suicide of the man I hoped to marry in my twenties and the later suicide of my beautiful niece, Kate Dalton. In 2020, I saw Victoria perform as Dicey Morris in After Dark at the Fimbra Theatre, for which she was recommended for an Offie Award for Best Female Performance in a Play. Previously, her Edinburgh Festival solo performance in Dancing with Jack was commended by John Murray in his review for its Victoria Wood-style delivery. Vicky's mother, Yvonne, and I were both very sad to hear the news Victoria Wood had died so young. We both treasured her brilliant comic performances. It is a wonderful accolade that Vicky's solo comic performance in Edinburgh is compared to the performance style of Victoria Wood by this reviewer. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast, which brings to life the story of Alfie. As Vicky explains, he became the family's comforter in grief. Wendy Morgan opened this series describing how she felt her beloved dog, Sophie, found her. Vicky also describes how she feels her beloved dog, Alfie, found her. I hope you, our listeners, find both a wonderful and moving evocation in this series of Celebrating Companionship. Companionships take many forms, all equally important, and in this podcast about companionship, I want to talk about my dear, much-loved companion, Alfie. Alfie had natural, beautiful strawberry blonde hair that women, like myself, who had to take regular trips to the hairdresser for a little help in the blonde highlight department, would kill for. He had big brown eyes, was in the main always happy, very funny, constantly curious, 
loved meeting new people and frequently got overexcited when he did. He was, on the very odd occasion, a bit grumpy, always seemed to be hungry and obsessed with food, was fiercely loyal, loved me dearly and was utterly devoted to me. He hailed from Suffolk and was born in a barn. Alfie, Alfredo, Alfie boy, Bubu, to name but a few of his names. Alfie was a Norfolk Terrier, my dog, my soulmate, my friend and constant companion for 13 years, 11 months and 13 days, to be precise. He died on June the 4th, 2021, the day after my birthday and just shy of his 14th birthday on the 17th of June. I had to make the horrendous decision on my birthday to have him put down the next day, but more of that later. Before Alfie, I had another Norfolk Terrier, Lucy, who had passed away three months before I got Alfie. Yet again, with the passing of Lucy, I was bereft. And in a moment of grief in the middle of the night, I signed up for a list of breeders on the Norfolk Terrier Club of Great Britain's website to see whose bitches were on heat. I wasn't really doing it seriously, but in the wee small hours it was something to do when I couldn't sleep, and it was just something that helped ease my pain. I downloaded the list, and the top name was a woman called Fiona. I immediately liked the sound of her. She said she wasn't a breeder, but that she had a lovely bitch called Florrie, and that she'd mated her with a friend's Norfolk Terrier, as they were both such delightful dogs. The next day, I find myself picking up the phone and ringing Fiona's number. I do remember thinking at the time, am I actually doing this? Suffice to say, Fiona said, terribly sorry, but actually all the puppies had now been assigned to new owners. All six of them, which was an extremely unusual size litter for a Norfolk. They usually had three or possibly four at the most. I think I was secretly relieved but still managed to end the call by saying that if a girl puppy did come available, could she please give me a call? Two weeks had passed since I'd spoken to Fiona, and I remember it was a really warm day in early July. I was filming a pop video in a boxing club in East London. I was just starting my lunch break when I saw I had a missed call and a voice message from Fiona. My heart started to beat a little faster. Why was she calling me? I immediately returned her call and she picked up the phone. Hi Fiona, it's Victoria. You asked me to give you a call? Yes, she said. She had a wonderful, crisp, upper-class English accent. I know you wanted a bitch, but someone has just changed their mind and I now have a male puppy available. Are you still interested? The question hung in the air. I went into a complete panic. I remember thinking, be careful what you wish for. And I now had to make a decision. Something that had been a whim and a fantasy in the middle of the night, i.e. wanting a puppy, could now be a reality. Could I really say no to seeing this puppy? Could I resist him if I saw him? What on earth was I thinking? Yes, yes, of course I can resist him. I'm only looking. All these thoughts went rushing through my head. Oh, right, that's fantastic, I said not believing what I was saying. I would love to come up and meet the puppy. When would be convenient for you? 
We arranged for me to go up a few days later when I was going to be staying at my stepmother's house in the Cotswolds. I stood there blinking in the bright July sunlight. Oh, I thought, looks like I'm meeting a new puppy then. I was driving to Norfolk, thinking, what on earth am I doing? It's barely been three months since Lucy died. This is crazy. My life at the time was totally chaotic. I was dividing my time between Shropshire and London, and I was on the road a lot, doing a few hundred miles a week. So, really, not the ideal time to get a new puppy on so many levels. I got to the village in Suffolk, and I remembered and heard Fiona's directions in my head. So... When you get to the high street, there'll be a red phone box on your right-hand side opposite the church. Turn right up that road there by the phone box and at the end you'll see a small gate marked private and we are through there. The small gate was actually very big and there were what seemed like acres of fields between there and the house at the end of the road. I parked outside the huge house and Fiona came out to welcome me along with Florrie, Alfie's mum, who greeted me with spinning in circles and plenty of tail wags, something that Alfie inherited from his mum whenever he met someone new. Fiona shook me warmly by the hand and said, let's go and look at some puppies, shall we? We walked towards the barn that was much bigger than most people's houses. Fiona opened the door and out rushed six cute Norfolk Terrier puppies. One came rushing up to me. Gosh, how extraordinary! That's the one that's for sale, Fiona said. Now, I know, I know that puppies are cute, but there was definitely a big instant connection. Even back then, phones had cameras on them, so I took a picture of Fiona holding the cute little fluff ball in one hand, and I still have that photo today. I knew I was in trouble as I drove away. I had asked Fiona for a few days to think about it, I couldn't believe that I was even considering it. I thought that I would come back to my senses in the next couple of days. I need to speak to people, get their input. So, what do you think? I already knew what most people would say. And I was right. The general gist was, another dog? Really? Oh, isn't that a bit too soon? You need a break. Are you mad? Why would you do that? You have your freedom now for the first time in years. Your lifestyle doesn't suit having a dog at the moment. All these statements were 100% true. It was the completely wrong time to get a dog. I knew it, but I just couldn't get the puppy who I'd temporarily called Teddy out of my head. I then decided to call my great friend Spike and her husband, who I was staying with in Shropshire, and said, help, I don't know what to do and I've never forgotten what happened next. Spike had put me on speaker mode, and from the distance, her husband Nathan, who had been listening to this conversation, shouted from the background, A dog finds you! It was like an epiphany. I don't know why it was, it just resonated with me, and it made me feel okay with the decision that I knew deep down that I had already made. Another deciding factor was that when I was driving back to London, I tried to imagine how I'd feel if I said no to buying the puppy. How would I feel if I never saw the wee pooch again? It made me panic. A surprising reaction, and I knew in my heart of hearts that I would not regret it. 
And I really do think that some things are meant to be, although we don't always know it at the time. So, upon returning to London, I contacted Fiona and said that, yes, I would love to take the puppy. She was genuinely thrilled. Oh, I'm so pleased. You'll make a great team. And oh, how right she was. On the way to pick him up, I was still trying to decide on a name for him, as I didn't want to call him Teddy, although he looked like a teddy bear and continued to look like one until the very end. And then on the car radio, the song Alfie played out of the speakers. And that was that. I had my name. What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment? We live. What's it all about when you sort it out, Alfie? I picked up Alfie when he was 12 weeks old, and so started our life together. We were mates from the get go, a team. Me and Alf. Always me and Alf, Alf and me. And what a great team we were. When you have a dog, your routines become so intertwined. Alfie and I were so interconnected. He really did feel like my soulmate. And one of the most wonderful things about having a dog is how loved you feel all of the time in their presence. It makes you feel so special and so loved. It lifts you up when you're down. If I was upset, I knew I could cuddle and talk to Alfie and it would genuinely help. Of course, it couldn't fix everything, but my God, it helped. Alfie was the perfect size to cuddle. I'd pick him up and hold him over my left shoulder and rock him like a baby, swaying in the process. Never was a dog hugged so much. I'm sure a psychiatrist would find something in that. I loved the way Alfie followed me everywhere when I was at home, watched me like a hawk, watched my every move that wonderful patter of paws on the floor as he trotted behind me. If he did happen to be asleep when I went to another room, I could hear him walking about the house looking for me. I loved that if I was in the bathroom, he would push the door open and check I was in there and then trot off again, leaving the door wide open. <sighs> Thanks, Alf. I loved when I was working at my desk, he would sleep underneath, curled up asleep on my feet. I loved how, when I had lines to learn and was pacing up and down the room, he would think it was a game of chase. I loved the fact he always wanted to sit on my lap after dinner, going up on his back legs and pushing my leg hard until I acquiesced and put him on my lap so he could be part of the pack and the conversation. I loved the fact he preferred human food to dog food, that he was so eccentric and talkative and had about seven different barks that meant different things. I loved the fact that he always upstaged me when we went for a walk, people always commenting about how pretty he was. I loved our cuddles on the sofa in front of the fire. I loved the fact that Alfie wanted to open all the presents under the Christmas tree, as though all of them were for him. They weren't, of course, although most of them were. And I loved the fact that my mother, my sister and I always celebrated his birthday with champagne, sandwiches, cake and presents. There were so many things to love about him. 
too many to name. I am a great walker. My father instilled it in me and the rest of my siblings, and I was fortunate enough to be brought up in Highgate where we had Hampstead Heath on our doorstep. Every Sunday, we'd go for a big walk on the heath after lunch and then come back to toast crumpets and bread on the fire. That was the one of the things that I loved most about having a dog, going for a walk. And what is so wonderful about owning a dog and going for a walk is that you end up talking to so many people. It's so sociable. And through Alfie, I have made some great friends. Through Alfie, I have some new companions. It soon became clear one of the reasons why I was meant to get Alfie and how he went from being my dog to being the family dog and comforter. In March 2008, eight months after I brought Alfie, my brother died aged 49 of a brain tumour. Diagnosis to death three months, and he left behind a young widow and a four and a six-year-old. Two years earlier, we had lost my older sister to suicide, the same age as Barney, 49. I still can't really find the words to say how this impacted our family, but obviously it was incredibly traumatic and life-changing for everyone. Alfie, in his small way, ended up being a great comfort and companion to my nieces, my sister, myself and my mother. His very presence and love for all the family helped with the grieving process. He was a real-life teddy bear for my nieces to cuddle. My mother's health had started to decline rapidly in the years after my brother's death, and she found great solace in the company of Alfie. Walking up and down the stairs had become exhausting for her, so she would often sit on the chair at the top of the stairs with Alfie by her feet, purveying the rest of the house and chatting and singing songs to Alfie as he protectively and loyally sat close beside her. The frequent times she ended up in hospital and I had to go and pick her up, and one of the first things she would say is, can you please bring Alfie? I've missed him so much. And I would duly drive to the hospital, Alfie on my lap whilst driving, completely illegal, but that's what we always did. And my mother got to the car and her eyes would light up with sheer joy when she saw Alfie. That memory still makes me equally happy and sad at the same time. The night my mother died, when my sister and I returned to the house from the hospital, Alfie didn't come rushing to the door to meet us, as it was his wont, but lay still and quiet in his basket in the kitchen. He knew. In 2018, a year after my mother had died, my sister and I had the extremely difficult and stressful task of clearing out my mother's house ready to be sold as part of probate. I loved my mother's house and all the wonderful memories of family gatherings that it held, and just on that level I found it enormously difficult that, combined with the fact that she'd lived there for over 40 years and was a bit of a hoarder, it had made that task all the more harder. Every day, for months, my sister and I had to make big decisions about who was going to have what and what we were going to throw away and give to charity, etc. The emotional stress of this was incredibly draining, but throughout it all, Alfie was there by my side, continuing to be a great comfort to me. He, too, found it all very stressful. His favourite places to sleep were slowly diminishing as the boxes were piled up against the wall in various rooms. The piano was removed, another favourite sleeping spot. 
but he never complained. He just shot you a resigned look and found somewhere else to sleep. The final day of saying goodbye to the family home was obviously deeply emotional and upsetting. I put Alfie in my car and had one final walk around the house with a glass of champagne saying goodbye. When I got back to the car, Alfie was curled up on my seat. I tried to move him, but he was just too heavy, a dead weight, completely silent. Yet again he'd picked up on the general mood and seemed to be genuinely very upset that we were leaving my mother's house for the last time. Last summer, I brought a property in Hastings. I'd had my offer accepted in February, but because of the pandemic, we didn't exchange until August. The two lockdowns I endured on my own in Hastings were incredibly difficult. Isolated, in a new town, unable to meet people, had had an absolutely devastating effect on my mental health. What kept me going through all of it was Alfie. He was always there. My sounding board for when I was writing, my cuddles on tap, my companion for walks by the sea, so I never felt totally alone. I'm not sure how I would have coped if I hadn't had Alfie by my side, my doo-doo blanket when lockdown got too much. But just after the move, Alfie started to get ill. So was the start of many trips to the vet that autumn and this year. He had developed arthritis, which is why our walks were getting shorter, but that in fact was the least of his problems. His bladder issues were initially diagnosed as a series of UTIs. Alfie, who had always been immensely house-proud, was starting to have accidents in the flat and was getting me up a few times a night to go out. He slowly got iller and iller, was being sick and fainting. And then finally, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer in March of this year. In the end, it was almost like I'd become his carer. He had to wear a kind of nappy that I changed several times a day, and I had to get my neighbour or my friend to pop in on him if I was going to be out for more than a few hours. And you're also in denial. I kept thinking before the final diagnosis that he was going to get better. It was the only way I could carry on. Looking back over those last six months, I didn't realise how ill he was, which is probably a good thing. The last week of his life, when I'd been warned by the vet that the end was in sight, I lay on the floor by his bed every night and I cuddled him and cried. I just couldn't imagine my life without Alfie. I just couldn't imagine him not being around anymore. We touched nose to nose. The connection was palpable. I wanted to wave a magic wand, make his discomfort go away, and I was terrified about playing God, as I had been warned that the bladder cancer in itself wouldn't kill him, that I would have to make the decision of when to let him go. But a dog cancer specialist told me that Alfie would let me know when the time was right, as did my vet. I visited websites like Saying goodbye to your dog, how to know when it is time. And sure enough, three days before I had him put down, he let me know. He'd stopped eating, one of the big red flags. And when my sister came up for my birthday drinks, he barely moved from his basket. Unheard of in the past. Another sure sign. 
That also helped to reassure me that I was making the right decision. But it didn't make it any easier. He had a wonderful send-off the night before he died, surrounded by people who had known him for years and loved him. Alfie was so ready to cross the Rainbow Bridge the next day. I held him in my arms for both the pre-med and final injection. He went within seconds. It was very peaceful. I was completely numb. Nothing could prepare me for the grief that engulfed me after he was put to sleep. It was, and still is, quite shocking to me. I feel traumatised. Even after all I have said about him, you'd think that it wouldn't be surprising to me. But the sheer depth and breadth of it has. The first day was relatively easy as I was in such shock. It was the days that followed where the grief really kicked in. I've cried every day since he died. This has included long sobbing fits, wailing and gasps of grief and utter despair. I have felt physically sick and had a pain in my gut. Four days after he died, I drove down to Hastings from London. I sat shaking in the car outside my flat. I was so nervous about going inside as I hadn't been there for six weeks, as Alfie had been too ill and I wanted to be in London to be near the vet. And my instinct was right. My Hastings home had always been mine and Alfie's. He had helped me move in. He had been my great comforter in my hour of need. But he wasn't there. And it was horrid. I had left in a rush to dash up to London to see the vet, as Alfie had been really ill the night before. I opened a cupboard and all his dog food was still there. There was a dog bowl out on the kitchen floor and a water bowl in my bedroom. I brought down his dog beds from London. I put one in the attic and left one in the front room and one in my bedroom, along with a couple of his toys. I found it strangely comforting. I still sleep with this towel on my bed, and I still haven't washed it. As I said, the depths of my despair have been truly shocking to me. And grief can be very lonely and isolating at times. There are probably some people who think I should be over it by now, as it's seven weeks and it's only a dog. So I've stopped talking about how I'm feeling to most people. I'm having to hide the true extent of my pain, and that can be hard. But I know that Alfred's death, along with my grief for him, could well be a catalyst for releasing feelings that I have suppressed to do with the other family bereavements that I've suffered over the last 12 years or so. But knowing something or intellectualising it doesn't make it any easier. It's still a process that I have to go through. And I will be okay. I know I'll be okay. And I've found writing this piece about Alfie incredibly cathartic. So finally, anyone who had the privilege of knowing Alfie will know what a special, eccentric and unique dog he was. He had a huge personality and brought me joy and laughter every day. I miss walking him, his cuddles, his tail wags, his naughtiness, his pretty face, his jaunty gait and the huge unconditional love that radiated off him for me. He made me feel strong and so special. But right now, the room is too quiet. His basket is empty. I don't have a little fluff ball demanding my attention and I don't have to get up and go out for a walk. I am 
quite simply still utterly bereft and heartbroken. Bye-bye, Alfie. Thank you for choosing me. You were greatly appreciated and loved, and I will be forever grateful to have shared my life with you for 13 years, 11 months and 13 days, to be precise. What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment we live? What's it all about when you sort it out, Alfie? Thank you for listening. I know that many people have bought dogs in lockdown for companionship. I hope that our live literature company podcasts, which focus on dog companionship, bring you, our listeners, joy and comfort as you listen to Wendy and Vicky talk about their beloved dogs, Sophie and Alfie. Next month, our live literature company podcast will again celebrate VJ Day with another reading from my father's book on his World War II regiment. Until then, take very good care of yourselves and if you like our live literature company podcasts, do click to follow us. Thank mm-hmm. you.